Well, anniversaries in God's purpose, this really assumes that we believe in God and that we believe that God has a purpose. So we're going to look at some evidence for this. Uh, and we're going to look in particular at four anniversaries, 120 years ago, 100 70 and 50 years ago and if you can read the tiny writing you can see that they're all to do with Israel and your titles say well Israel where's that isn't it a very little place it is actually a very little place it's smaller than Scotland you know where Scotland is in blue there and Scotland is four times the size of Israel so Israel is a very little place, although its population is a little greater than Scotland's population. But really, in world terms, Israel is a very tiny country. So why are we talking about Israel tonight? Why all the fuss? We're going to look at the evidence, I said, and we... we know how a court works um, it might be a prosecution or a civil case either way it is the examination of evidence and we're going to look at it as a court case as Isaiah 43 did Isaiah 43 sets out a court case between God and the nations you, you notice that though in verse 9 there was a summons all the nations gather together there to come and put their case there to come and call their witnesses in verse 9 let them bring their witnesses God really saying if you don't believe in me let's look at the evidence and then put up or shut up I'll bring my witnesses you bring yours and what makes a good witness well somebody who's got good eyesight and good hearing, good memory, they'll be able to tell the court what they saw and heard. But God says that his witnesses, he's calling people who are blind and deaf, and says to them, you are my witnesses. And you notice that they're deliberately blind. They've got eyes, yet they refuse to see. They've got ears, they refuse to hear. Well... If they're blind and deaf, how on earth can they be witnesses in court telling what they've seen and heard? And who are they anyway, these who are deliberately blind and deaf? It actually told us at the beginning of the chapter. It, uh, God, he who created, calls Jacob, he who formed you, or Israel. So it's Israel, Jacob's the old name for Israel. So the people of Israel are called as God's witnesses. And how can they be witnesses if they're blind and deaf? Well, not because of what they say, but because of what has happened to them, or what was going to happen. God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring your descendants from east, west, north and south, from the ends of the earth. From every corner of the globe, God says, I'll pull you, bring you back 
to Israel. And that will be a witness. When the nations see this happening, then they'll say, oh yes, God said he was going to do that. It was in the Bible. And it'll prove that I am God. I am the Lord. Beside me there's no saviour. I declared and saved and proclaimed. I said what I was going to do. And you'll see that I do it. And that will be a witness to you all. So that is the story we're going to look at. We're going to look at Israel's experiences, particularly those four anniversaries which come up this year and see how they fit in. That they show that all the things God said he was going to do, he really has done. And it's a witness and it proves not only that God exists, but that he is in control of world events. So, that's why we're talking about Israel. And really, to set the scene, we've got to go back to the beginning of Israel. Israel started with Abraham, or Abram as he was originally called. He lived at Or, which is in what we now call Iraq. But God spoke to him there and told him to leave uh, Ur and to move to somewhere that God would tell him. And it was to this green patch, which was then called the land of Canaan. Uh, and God made a promise to Abraham about that land. He promised that he and his descendants would own that land. They would possess it forever. Here it is in Genesis. You see verse 15 there. For all the land you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. So that land in green there, God said that will be yours. Didn't happen. Abraham died without ever owning any of that land. Here's what it says in the New Testament. This is Stephen speaking in Jerusalem. God gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length. He promised it him, didn't give it to Abraham. He lived there, he died there, his son Isaac died there. It was in the time of his grandson Jacob that uh, the family moved. Jacob and his family moved down into Egypt to the southwest and the family and the, the time they were there it was perhaps 400 years they grew from just being a family they grew to be a nation in fact they were treated as slaves there after the 400 years there then God intervened God sent Moses. So the 400 years on, God sent Moses to bring them out of Egypt, brought them into the Sinai Peninsula, and God spoke to Israel there, and he said, I'll make a deal with you. If you promise to be faithful to me, to worship only me and not other gods, then I'll bring you to this land, I'll protect you, defend you, you won't be invaded by your neighbours, you won't suffer famines, you will be safe there, you will prosper there, I'll look after you, 
provided you're faithful to me, will you do that? And they said, yes, we'll do it. And that was an agreement, a pact, a covenant, an agreement between God and the nation of Israel. And so Moses then led them up to that promised land and uh, they entered the land under Joshua. You remember the, the battle of Jericho, the first city they took. And so that green land, they occupied it and it ceased to be called the land of Canaan. It became the country of Israel. But another 400 years on, um, things had changed. They now demanded a king. Eventually, um, they had King David, and he made Jerusalem their capital city. His son, King Solomon, built the temple at Jerusalem, a very large and beautiful building that the Jews were very proud of. So they'd had their 400 years in Egypt and then 400 years in the land up to the time of King David. And then we move on another 400 years, around 600 BC. They'd made that agreement with God, that covenant, but then they broke it. They started worshipping other gods. And God said, well, I'm not going to keep my side anymore. I'm not going to protect you anymore. And they were conquered by Babylon and eventually by Rome. And how many years later after, uh, after Babylon came? Well, remarkably, about 400 years later, Jesus was born in Israel and the Romans were in control then and the Jews kept rebelling against the Romans so about 70 years after the birth of Jesus the Romans sent their legions to destroy Jerusalem they were fed up of the Jews getting fanatical about Jerusalem and rebelling against them so they destroyed the city destroyed the temple and the Jews were still rebelling so another 60 years on the Romans sent their legions again and they expelled all the Jews from the region of Jerusalem and they changed the name of the country from Israel to Palestine. They said there isn't going to be an Israel anymore, never again. We've solved the problem of Israel rebelling against the Roman Empire. We've solved it forever. And they exiled the Jews from their own land and they dispersed them as refugees and as slaves across the entire Roman Empire. There's the Roman Empire in pink. You can see all round the Mediterranean, up as far as Britain, apart from Scotland, of course, which they didn't succeed in conquering. But the red arrows show where they sent the Jews. You may be able to see the little yellow spots, which are where the Jewish communities sprung up 
when the Romans were dispersing the Jews so that they wouldn't be a problem anymore. Because really, a generation or two on, they would cease to be Jews. You, you know, nations migrate across continents and they intermarry and new nations are born and old nations cease to exist. I want to ask you to put your hand up whether you're pure-born Scot or pure-born English or a mixture of the two. I'm pure Scots, but then Scots are what? A mixture of Picts and Celts and uh, Vikings and a mix of a lot of other things. There's no such thing, really, as a pure Scot. And the English, well, mixture of Angles and Saxons and Danes and Normans. Nations change as the centuries go by. Old nations cease to exist. New nations come into being. And Israel would totally cease to exist if they were spread, not exiled to one place, but across the empire. And that's what the Romans did. Uh, move on another 500 years or so. Uh, according to the Quran, Muhammad came to Jerusalem and 20 years later, the remnants of the Roman Empire had to pull out. They were on their last legs and the Muslims took Jerusalem and held it for, well... 400 years um, <clears throat> the Dome of the Rock they built there still there the most prominent building in Jerusalem and built on the site of the Jewish temple of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem which was the Jews regarded as a great insult but 400 years on the Muslims lost control and the Crusaders came they didn't have it for very long. Next came the Mamluks, who came from Ukraine, that sort of area. And, well, it, it's best to lump them together to remember how long they ruled Israel and Jerusalem. Because between them, the Crusaders and then the Mamluks, comes to a nice memorable figure of how many years would you suppose, perhaps? let's say about 400 years um, from 1100 to about 1500 the Crusaders and then the Mamluks ruled and then came the Ottomans the Turks took over the land they had a very big empire not as big as the Romans but that yellow area around the Mediterranean was the Turkish Empire the Ottoman Empire and Israel of course just a tiny part of it so the Ottomans ruled for 400 years of course until the British took over or the British expelled the Ottomans in 1917 and that's the first of our uh, no it's not actually it's the second of the anniversaries we're going to be looking at but what the Romans hadn't realised was they were fulfilling Bible prophecy. God had said, yes, I will give you this land and protect you there, provided you're faithful. But if you're unfaithful to me, then I will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And that's what happened. The Romans scattered them. In fact, they scattered 
further than the Roman Empire, the, the blue areas represent where there are Jewish communities today. The darker the blue, the, the greater the concentration of Jews. So you can see that the two places where the two countries with the highest concentration of Jews are the United States. I don't know if you can see the other place there's a high concentration of Jews because it's so tiny. It's uh, a tiny dark blue spot there called Israel. So God said, I'll scatter you from one end of the earth to the other. And of course it came true. But that wasn't all he said. He also said, I will save you from far away. We've moved on now from Deuteronomy to Jeremiah. I'll make a full end of all the nations amongst whom I scattered you, he said, but I will not make a full end of you. Well, that couldn't come true. Scattered as they were, they were bound to cease to exist as a, an identifiable race. But God said, you will survive. And beyond that, I will regather you. He who scattered Israel will gather him, said God, <coughs> from those corners of the earth. So that would mean from America and Europe and China and uh, Africa, Australia, Russia, Canada. God said, I'm going to bring you back from all those places. Couldn't possibly happen. The Romans destroyed Israel couldn't possibly ever exist again. And the great political mystery is that it came true. All those centuries Israel didn't exist, yet the Jews survived. Their homeland lay empty. It reverted to wilderness and swampland. It was owned by the Turks and uh, they let out, they rented out to some Arab settlers who moved in, the Arab settlers were able to rent the few fertile areas that remained. Now do you recognize this? The restoration of Israel is a most important part feature of God's purpose. The colonization of Palestine will be on purely political principles. The Jewish colonists will return in unbelief of the messiahship of Jesus, you know, deliberately blind and deaf. They will emigrate there as agriculturalists, farmers and traders. And who wrote that and when? Well, it was written by a Christadelphian in 1839, getting on for 200 years ago. And how did he know that? Well, he knew it because he'd been reading the Bible and that's what the Bible said would happen and he was writing at a time when people still said it cannot possibly be true. It will never happen. Uh, and yet it did come true. Just 40 years after Dr. Thomas wrote that, the first group of Jewish immigrants returned. The Ottomans wouldn't sell them any of the fertile land they'd already rented out to Arab settlers. So to the Jewish settlers... They sold the unwanted land, malarial swampland, the first settlement uh, they 
was 25 miles from Jerusalem. They called it Petatikva, after a, an Old Testament verse. It was swamp which they drained and established a, a successful community, which is still there. It's now bigger than the city of Dundee. Nearly a quarter of a million people living there. Just four years later, the next group bought some desert land. They also called it after um, uh, an Old Testament verse. <coughs> they managed to find water by digging very deep. They irrigated it and established fruit farms. And a community sprang up there. And it too is a city of nearly a quarter of a million people today. So the Arab settlers were able to rent the good land the Jews were able to buy the land that nobody wanted and yet they were somehow able to make it successful and over a 20 year period there were large areas were bought up and nursed back to become fertile soil from being scrubland and swampland the land that the Ottomans couldn't find any tenants for. Sometimes the incoming Jewish settlers found there were Bedouins grazing their livestock on the land they just bought and they had to bribe them to move on somewhere else and trouble erupted when they took the money but didn't move. But that's life. But it was all a bit disorganised, these areas of land across Palestine becoming Jewish settlements and they needed an organization and so the first of the anniversaries we're talking about is 120 years ago an organization was set up to coordinate these the Zionist Congress set up the Zionist Federation with a view to working towards the state of Israel, all these settlements to be brought together and to become a nation-state. Set up by uh, a Hungarian Jewish journalist. Only 200 people attended that conference 120 years ago this year. There was the beginnings of uh, a, a new outbreak of anti-Semitism in Europe. And Herzl said, we need a Jewish state where the Jews will be safe. But of course, as we've seen, the, the Ottomans who actually ruled the land at that time, they weren't very sympathetic. And in fact, um, they had stopped selling land to the Jews as they realized they'd sold so many tracts of land that it was possible there was going to be a Jewish state set up. They refused to sell any more, so the Jews had to rely upon agents to buy for them. And uh, 1909, a little over a hundred years ago, uh, a Dutchman bought a a large slab of land on the coast. It was just sand dunes, but he was buying on behalf of Jews. He resold it to the Jews. They planned to build a city there, and they called it, again, after an Old Testament verse from the book 
of Ezekiel about a Jewish settlement in Babylon called Tel Aviv. They named it Tel Aviv and today it is a great city of over 400,000 people. It's been named as the most modern city in the world in the last year. And yet in 1909, uh, the Ottomans still ruled there. But not for much longer, because the second of the anniversaries that crops up this year is a hundred years ago this year, the Ottoman Empire fell and their occupation of Jerusalem ended. The Balfour Declaration was made in 1917. Arthur Balfour was a Scotsman who had been Prime Minister uh, and then during the First World War he was Foreign Secretary and in common with the Prime Minister and the Deputy Foreign Secretary he was a keen supporter of Zionism and the three of them agreed that the British government should declare its uh, support for Zionism. He was friendly with this man, Chaim Weizmann, a Jew who was living in Britain at the time, and Weizmann and Lord Rothschild were told the British government was going to declare its support for Zionism. They were asked to draft the wording, which they did, and it, we call it the Balfour Declaration because it was in the form of a letter from Arthur Balfour. That's how it was reported in the Times newspaper at the time. And here's what it actually said. His Majesty's Government view with favour the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavours to facilitate the achievement of this object. So Britain favoured a national home and the declaration was so important that when the Ottomans were defeated and a peace treaty was signed to end the First World War, the Balfour Declaration of 1917 was incorporated into the peace treaty. So the Ottomans were acknowledging that Palestine was to be given to the Jews. And when the, United, the, the League of Nations was set up to keep the peace, they appointed Britain to take charge of Palestine and they actually incorporated into the document of instructions for Britain uh, the, the Balfour Declaration so that Britain was really instructed to bring it about the setting up of a home for the Jews. But... Going back to 1917, when um, that declaration was made, it was still part of the Ottoman Empire, but not for very much longer, because later that year, 1917, the First World War hadn't been going very well, either on the Western Front or in the Middle East, but Lloyd George appointed this man, Field Marshal uh, Allen Bay, to take over the British forces in the Middle East. And he was a, a brilliant man. Um, he enlisted the services, amongst others, of Lawrence of Arabia. And 
Lawrence was a British officer who managed to get the Arabs on his side. The Arabs who were renting land from the Ottomans hated the Ottomans being in control. They wanted Palestine for themselves. They wanted the Turks to be thrown out and the land given to them. And Lawrence of Arabia said, yes, if you help me against the Turks, then Britain will ensure that Palestine is given to the Arabs. Of course, the British had already promised Palestine to the Jews. So, with the help of Arabs, the Ottomans were defeated. And on the 9th of December 1917, a, a date that will be celebrated, 100th anniversary this year, Allen Bay entered Jerusalem. The German Kaiser had been there 20 years earlier and he rode in uh, and caused a lot of resentment because of the triumphant way he entered. And so Allen Bay walked in. He said it was for Messiah to ride into Jerusalem in triumph. So a hundred years ago this year, Jerusalem was freed from 400 years of Ottoman rule, but it wasn't under Jewish rule. Britain was put in charge, but Britain had promised the land to both Jews and Arabs. There were Jewish settlers there, there were Arab settlers in different parts of the land, and there was growing tension between these two communities. Hitler played his part. As soon as he came to power, he started persecuting the Jews, which led to a lot of Jews leaving Europe and trying to get into Palestine. The Arabs got worried. They soon, the Jews flooding into those, all those Jewish enclaves throughout the land, they're, they're going to outnumber us. And Britain uh, imposed a quota system of 15,000 Jews, they limit it to 15,000 Jewish settlers a year to enter. So the Jews now rebelled against the British. And the British withdrew the promise in the Balfour Declaration. And now the British proposed in what's called the MacDonald Report, drawn up by Ramsay MacDonald's son, uh, Malcolm MacDonald, they proposed partition. They proposed two new states. Palestine should be divided into two. The Jewish settlers should be given part. And the Arab settlers should be given part. Well, <coughs> that brings us on to the end of the Second World War. The, the third of the anniversaries we're thinking about. Seventy years ago, the United Nations, now in charge... Uh, the League of Nations had gone and the United Nations agreed with Britain's uh, proposal that the land should be partitioned and a resolution was passed to that effect 70 years ago this year that two new sovereign states should be set up in Palestine, an Arab state and a Jewish state and the UN would decide upon their borders. So they sent a commission to travel through the land, and they noted those places where the Arabs were in the majority, and they said, 
that those areas, in shown in green here, should be the new Arab state within Palestine. And where the Jews were in the majority, those areas should become the Jewish state in Palestine. Because the Arabs outnumbered the Jews, the Arab state would be bigger than the Jewish state, except that the big triangle of desert at the bottom, the wilderness, um, would be given to the Jews. The UN reckoned that if anybody could do anything with that desert, it would be the Jews. Nobody had ever succeeded. Nobody actually lived there. Um, so they gave the triangular bit at the bottom to the Jewish state. Well, and Jerusalem itself was to remain international under UN control. The Jews were disappointed. They'd wanted more, but they accepted the UN plan. The Arabs were disappointed. They wanted the lot. So they rejected the UN plan, but the UN plan went ahead. Britain pulled out, and the state of Israel was set up. The Arab state never was set up because they had other plans because the day after the state of Israel was set up all the surrounding Arab states declared war. They were going to destroy the state of Israel and seize all the land for the Arabs and they said it would be easy. Their leader said, it doesn't matter how many Jews there are, we'll sweep them into the sea. The Egyptians said, it'll be dead easy, it will be a parade without any risks. This is what God said in Psalm 83. Behold, your enemies make an uproar. And what those enemies of Israel would say is come let us wipe them out as a nation let the name of Israel be remembered no more that's exactly what they were saying we're going to sweep them into the sea who was going to say this Edom, the Ishmaelites, Moabite, Hagrites a whole list of nations and who are they the names don't really mean very much to us until we look at the modern equivalent the areas they occupied Jordan Saudi Arabia Yemen Egypt Lebanon uh, Gaza and Iraq and Syria and when you look at the nations which declared war on the one day old state of Israel anything familiar about the list Egypt Jordan Syria Lebanon, Iraq, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's the same list that had been uh, a thousand BC, three thousand years earlier in that psalm. Quite remarkable. And they were well armed, those forces. They were established nations. They all had armies, some had air forces, some had tanks, they all had modern artillery. And Israel, a nation one day old, were less well equipped. They got two tanks they'd stolen from the British. They got three American tanks they built out of spare parts. And they managed to buy ten light tanks. They had 
Israel had one gun for every three soldiers and a total of 200 machine guns and 25 uh, aeroplanes against those huge nations of 40,000 men that they were facing. And so the British said, Israel don't stand a chance. And America agreed. The Arabs, of course, agreed. Israel thought they had 50-50 chance of surviving. But the Bible said Israel would survive. They would win. So, of course, what happened was that Israel won. And the new Arab state never was set up. Jordan seized all the land that was allocated to them and they seized Jerusalem as well. And the war was never actually ended. They had a ceasefire, uh, but technically they remained at war so the Arabs felt they could invade Israel at any time without declaring war. Israel said, well, so long as they leave us alone and don't interfere with our shipping through the Gulf of Aqaba, uh, we can live with this. But this brings us to the last of our anniversaries, 50 years ago, 1967, when things changed because Egypt expelled the UN peacekeeping force. They sent all their troops up to the Israeli border preparing to invade. They closed the Gulf of Aqaba so that Israeli ships couldn't enter and Israel regard that as a declaration of war and they retaliated, they destroyed the Egyptian air force uh, and President Nasser of Egypt managed to persuade other Arab states that he was winning and they agreed to join in and to attack Israel from the north and the east while he attacked from the south uh, but his attack wasn't successful his tanks relied on air support and he lost his air force so Egypt was defeated and the attack from the east was defeated and the attack from the north was defeated and the entire war was over in six days. People talk about it as the six-day war. We went to Israel and they said actually it was three two-day wars. Israel's army wasn't big enough to fight in three places at once. So they fought in the south for two days and won there. And then they moved up to the east and in two days fighting they defeated the nations attacking from the east and then they moved up to the north and spent two days beating off the attack from the north so they regard it as three two-day wars and Jerusalem was taken after two and a half thousand years Jerusalem was back in Jewish hands Jesus had said they'll fall by the edge of the sword be led captive among all nations that's what had been in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus said Jerusalem will be taken back and that will mark the end of the times of the Gentiles. And that came true 50 years ago this year. Um, 
Israel actually retained Jerusalem and made it their capital city, though they handed back the Muslim holy sites. And Jordan decided it didn't want the West Bank back. Israel didn't annex it, but they controlled it, and similarly with the Golan Heights in the north. Move on ten years to 1977, 40 years ago, and Egypt said, well, look, if we were to recognise Israel and sign a peace treaty, would you give us back the Sinai Peninsula? And so that's what happened. In 1978, President Carter and the Camp David Accord and Israel returned Sinai to Egypt. Egypt became the first Arab nation to recognize the existence of Israel. And then another 26 years, and the Arab settlers in Palestine said, look, if we were to recognize Israel and stop uh, fighting, would you withdraw your troops from the West Bank and from Gaza and allow a Palestinian authority to be set up. And Israel agreed and withdrew their troops. And uh, the Arabs had promised to recognize Israel. Well, Jordan did. But um, Yasser Arafat, who was the Palestinian leader, then immediately died under very mysterious circumstances. And Hamas took over and withdrew their recognition of Israel and started daily attacks on Israel, which continue. So, Israel, very tiny. Nearly all of the Arab states shown there in green are pledged to the total destruction of Israel. Israel, very tiny red nation there, surrounded by a huge number of nations pledged to its total destruction. The Hamas uh, organization which controls uh, the Gaza and West Bank areas, its first uh, statement in its charter used to be that it was pledged to the utter destruction of Israel and the killing of all Jews anywhere in the world. But Two months ago, they said, look, we'll be reasonable. Uh, we're not as bad as we used to be. They published a new charter, no longer setting out to kill all Jews everywhere, only those in Israel and any who support them. It's not really that much of an advance. So, a lot of people have had a go. The Romans had a go. And Israel survived. Hitler had a go. And Israel survived. In fact, Assyria, Babylon, Romans, Hitler. But Israel survived. And when you look at the nations which were around in those days, they don't exist anymore. God said, I'll scatter you. Those other nations will die out. But the Jews will survive. It came true. All those invasions against Israel failed. How can this be? How can it happen? Well, the Bible says God organized it as a witness that he's in charge. The evidence is pretty strong, isn't it, that God is in charge. 
If we accept that, then we have to accept that when he says, then there's something else going to happen. We've got to accept that as well. God said, this is still to happen. I'll bring all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Then said God, he'll go out and intervene himself and fight. Then he'll send his son, and his feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives. Well, we looked at the evidence. I think it's quite powerful. I don't think we can afford to ignore it. We've got to make our choice, make our verdict. I think it's got to be that God is working his purpose out. He is in control. He is going to send his son to bring peace on earth. And if we want to be part of it, then we must commit now. Thanks for your attention.